Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerklein. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Judy, you made it. You made it despite the big freeze that's happening over the the whole world, I think, right now. And you are in, like, kind of the back of the freezer of America in Colorado. And (laughs) the back of the freezer. You know, we deal with freeze really well here, so. Yeah, you're you're ready for it. Yeah, it's not like anything I'm seeing in New Mexico and Texas right now. I know. Texas looks rough. That's super rough. My mom is in outside of San Antonio, and it's it's pretty rough out there. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, tell me about the factory that you have in your house. You have like a, you have like a manufacturing situation back there in your garage. Garage or you have a shop? We are building a shop right now. Our first real workshop. We have always worked out of our garage. So, um, right now we have a three car garage that we've transformed into a wood shop for woodworking. And, um, also my husband calls it a laser lab. But uh, we have a couple of big, uh, you know, 80-watt, 130-watt lasers that um, we cut all sorts of fun stuff on. And we do production there every week with employees. And, you know, we just tromp through the house. And it's it's a good time. That's kind of amazing. The cool thing about part of your story is I've watched you go from corporate world, which we'll get into in a little bit, to to having a side hustle with Etsy, to it being the forefront hustle, and then helping other Etsy makers create revenue and real income for their life too. Morgan and I were in the Etsy game. Is it okay to call it that? The Etsy game. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. we had uh, an Etsy store when our daughter. So this was a long time ago when our daughter was an infant so she's nine now remember that jewelry right no we did um we had printables that was our thing we would like design stuff and then people could download or sometimes we would do custom prints but it was like having a it was like having an additional spouse with a full-time income it was awesome like yeah like we paid for a baby out of pocket when we didn't have to but we just did because we we could and the way we want, we want to do a home birth and all that stuff and insurance didn't cover it, but Etsy did. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people great. estimate Etsy. It's the fourth largest e-commerce site in the world. So right after Amazon, Walmart, Wayfair, and eBay. What? Etsy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. And so um, it's just a massive marketplace and there's none like it out there that brings these wildly talented, unique makers who are, you know, slaving away in their garages with um, people who desire to have, you know, handmade goods in their homes. And so um, it's, it's wildly, I think, underestimated and undervalued. And um, it's been fun to introduce people who are creative minded or, you know, yeah. Want to have a different stream of income, uh, introduce them to this new world of Etsy. It's great. It's a pretty cool platform. Once we left, we I've had several friends come to me who are makers, artists, 
and they're like, how do I do it? I'm like, man, it is a, it's a, it's a wildly evolving thing. And you just got to decide you're going to go learn that world beyond the skill that you have as a maker. There's this whole other thing. And that's what you're doing. You're helping people learn that part of it. You know, uh, we'll talk about that yeah. maybe a little bit later, but we need mentors. We need mentors all in this world. I know a little bit about your, your background in, in the sense that, um, you came from a small town. We came from the same small town. It's a real place called Roswell, New Mexico. It's not fictional. It's real. Uh, let me tell you a funny story about Roswell, actually, really quick. After I left town, uh, I think this might have been maybe when I was 20. So it was like around the year 2000. And I went back to town. I was hanging out with some guys at the Denny's, which is the only place an underage person can hang out after a certain time at night. And there were these Where two guys. Was. Your dad worked there. Was he cooked there? <laughs> was he making? He was a server. He was a manager. Yeah, he he worked there for a long time. Moons over my hammy. Um, yes. <laughs> and I was, I was, uh, Daniel, what do you think of when you hear the word Roswell? First thing off your head. Aliens. You okay, great. Good. That's the right answer. So I'm in there and there's these guys that have, um, a map of the whole of southwestern United States out on, the, on their table. And they're arguing heatedly, like they're really yelling at each other, but they're arguing in Arabic. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And uh, I just go over to them as I'm about to leave. I'm like, do you guys need help? And they go, yeah, yeah, where's Area 51? And, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I like show them on the map where they are. I'm like, this is where you are. And this 2000 miles away, however, however far it is, is area 51 over Nevada. And they started yelling more <laughs> like food started getting from between the two. I was like, I'm sorry guys to disappoint you that we don't have what you're looking for. Anyway. Common misconception. Yeah. Roswell uh, is a great place to be from, but you wouldn't want to visit is what I've heard. Um, you know, minimum security prison, all that stuff. But you came out of there, you went into the corporate world, and and a lot of that success in the corporate world for you was actually being mentored. Like when someone would notice you and um, <clears throat> and help you. And uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of drill down on was the one of the first moments for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I left Roswell when I was 16. I graduated high school early. I just, I just wanted to get the heck out of town. I wanted to get, to get to college. DU was the college that took me and gave me, which is the University of Denver, uh, gave me a scholarship, a full scholarship to, to go to the University of Denver. And my first summer after my freshman year, there was no way I was going back to Roswell. Like, I'm like, I'm staying in Denver no matter what. So I, I had to get to work. And um, I went to a temp agency, which is funny because today I actually found my first W-2 from that temp agency <laughs> no um, as I was cleaning my office. But um, this temp agency was like, look, you have no skills. You you are so not qualified for this, but we had an emergency call for some big investment firm downtown Denver, and they need somebody today. So you, this is a professional gig. You got to wear your very best clothing and 
get out there and work really hard and have a good attitude. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll do it. And I'm at the time I'm 17 years old. And, um, first I of all, there... you, you're 17. You've already finished a year of college. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. That's 17. Cool. kind of impressive. Yeah. A little flex. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a lot of, there's like a lot of your story that, um, I, I know you're, we're getting right to another part, but just a little bit of lip service to it. Like the kind of repeated, um, uh, repeatedly in your life it seems to um you seem to be very resilient and get everything you can out of these very small cracks you know uh, like doors are slightly cracked and then you get through them and just as you go and i really appreciate that about your story it's it's, it's mm. been fun to listen to so sorry cool. continue yeah. please no that's great i it's good to hear other people's perspectives about this too um yeah you know, cause it's, I'm a real forward thinking person. So I very rarely reflect on my story or huh. how I got here. Wow. But, um, so it's been fun to do that this week, awesome. gearing up for this, but, um, yeah, so we are, I, I, I go and I put on what I consider my very best professional outfit, which is, you know, a floral Easter dress, uh, which is about all I had at the time. It's like your I'm Sunday best. Poor college kid. My Sunday best, which was, you know, this really beautiful floral. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Sundress. <laughs> and uh, I go downtown. It's the top floor of this beautiful building with, you know, a private elevator with you have to have somebody, you know, get you up to that floor. I had never experienced anything like that. And I get up there and the doors open and it's marble everything. And every single person is wearing a black suit. You know, I thought you were going to say a toga. Everyone is wearing Greek clothes. <laughs> no, <laughs> All the white marble. Black suit tie. <laughs> it's so serious. Um, and they put me in the receptionist position. And I'm supposed to only be there for two weeks as an emergency while they find somebody to work at this company. So um, I just start doing the only thing I know, which is working hard and having a good attitude. And... Um, I show up early, I stay late, I, you know, I'm trying to learn whatever I can. And um, one night I'm there, it's probably seven o'clock at night and I'm, I should have left at five, five thirty, but it's seven o'clock at night and I'm doing the dishes in the kitchen because I did not know any better. I truly didn't know that there was cleaning staff to do that. And so uh, a, a gentleman walks in the room really tall, you know, nicely dressed gentleman. And he's talking to me, asking me about myself. And I tell him I go to DU and this and that. And he stops me and he goes, how old are you? And I'm thinking, oh, I'm busted. Like, I, he's going to act like, tell me I can't work here. Or, <laughs> There's something wrong. And I looked at You're getting at carded at your new job? Yeah, I didn't know. I said, I'm 17. <laughs> And I'm sure I looked 17. And uh, he said, you know. You probably looked 15. <laughs> I probably did. Yeah. But he said, you're going to come work for me. And I didn't know that he was the main principal of this real estate investment firm. He um, ran the place and it was his company. And I became his personal assistant. I'm going to stop you real quick. Real quick. Okay. So many stories right now, and I don't want to discount any one of them, 
are about how someone like that preyed on someone younger. Right. You know, it was a bad situation. And I think one of the unfortunate sides of the truth, which is those are like, I don't want to, you know, discount anyone's story in that process in their experiences is that there are actually quite a lot of people who are doing the right thing and in our yes. wonderful people and good mentors. And so the reason I say all that to say is like, we can still trust people. We can still believe that folks have the best, our best interest, their best just in mind. And clearly sounds like this guy did when he saw a teenage girl in his office and going, what are you doing here? Yeah, it's truly, I mean, time after time, I did encounter incredible business people, um, mainly men, because it, it was a male-dominated industry, uh, willing to invest time into my learning and growth and um, never crossing any boundaries. Um, I feel like I'm very fortunate in that way. I mean, I I have seen that in the corporate world. Um, but it didn't happen to me. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, I was always mentored by men who were really comfortable around, you know, vibrant women. And so mm. um, it was, it was uh, incredible. It was incredible working for him. I felt like I was, um, you know, on the Devil Wears Prada. Every time I, have you ever seen that movie? Oh, it's been a long uh, time. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Daniel's favorite movie. That was <laughs> my life for a little bit. I mean, I would go get his Mercedes Benz out of this tight garage and bring it up to the front and, you know, run around town and get a bunch of stuff. But in that, he also had me running his home finances and bookkeeping and right. entertaining very high level clientele and uh, on international phone calls. And so I learned an incredible amount of wow. business skills, just kind of being by his side and yeah. picking up how he did things. Um, and when I expressed to him that uh, I needed to go back to school in the fall, cause this was a summer job. Yeah. He said, we will work around your schedule. You're on a salary, go okay. back to school full time. You come work here whenever you can. 17 year old on a salary, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was that's amazing. Insane. Um, but it was great. And he helped me get every subsequent job from there. Uh, because he just really believed in my future. I, he knew I wanted to go into marketing and uh I, I wanted a career path that was not a personal assistant. Yeah. And so he really helped be my, you know, recommendation when I, I branched out, I, I could have very easily settled into that job forever yeah, yeah, and been ha happy there. But, um, I really kept my eyes on the prize, which was, I wanted to be a marketing professional. Um, please tell me he at least gets a Christmas card every year from you guys. <laughs> yeah. He's a special <laughs> guy. His name is oh, Jim Mulvihill. He's awesome. That's um, rad. Yeah. So those were my kind of first experiences in the corporate world. Yeah. What was the end of the uh, uh, sun, Sunday best dress story? Oh, so after my two week stint as the, the temp, um, I was given a full time job and the gift that the company gave me 
to come on board full time was a $500 gift dollar gift card to Ann Taylor, which I did not even know what Ann Taylor was. I didn't know it was a clothing store. I didn't know what it was. And it's like uh, a high end, like professional ladies, like clothing store, right? It is. It is. Yeah. And the $500 bought me exactly one suit, Yeah. <laughs> which I still have in my closet. That's awesome. And um, I will never get rid of it. That's and so I cool. remember walking into this place, this Ann Taylor place and, you know, the clothes on the racks. And my then boyfriend, now husband, was with me. And I said, man, they must really hate me. You know, because I'm looking at this clothes that was like, I was this funky teenager. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I got the hint. It was, it was well taken. Um, my first of many business suits. I'm going to ask you a question that doesn't sound related, but I'm really curious about. You mentioned working with men who were confident working with confident women. And describe that a little bit. I think that that a lot of men are intimidated by smart women, uh, powerful women, women who are ambitious, women who because because sometimes men like we um, misinterpret what that means in our brains because uh, we're just blanketly stupid. <laughs> uh, so like, tell me some about those qualities. Like when you worked with a guy that was just like, basically gave you free reign to be fully you. Like, what did that feel like? What did that look like? Oh man. So my next job right after this one, um, I worked for a black Angus beef company. And I was the, I started as the marketing coordinator and became the marketing manager pretty quickly. But, uh, and you're like early twenties, like you're like 18, 19, 19. I was 19. Yeah. You were the, you were the head of marketing for a black Angus. Yeah. There was a, a, there was a senior vice president of marketing and his name was Brad. Yeah. We were just a two person team. Sure. Of course. It was a real boutique company. Um, and I loved food marketing, great industry, but the beef industry is men. It, I mean, I yeah. was the only woman in the entire office and, um, other than like an accountant. And so, uh, and not just men, but like, you know, Western men, <laughs> Western. Yeah. I mean, these guys, yeah. God bless them. They, they I mean, good old boys. I mean, it's like, uh, when you go from, um, essentially raising cattle to commodity side of the business. Like there's a certain kind of grit that comes up in that world. I would imagine. Yes, it was gritty. Um, but the guy that I worked for had come out from California. He he was like much gentler. He, he had worked in the beef industry for a long time and he just believed in me. He would allow me to sit down and just run with entire projects, just to see if I could. I mean, he would say, create, work with the design firm and create the packaging for this new product. Mm. I'm like a 19 year old. Yeah. I had to figure out USDA regulations around labeling and there was so much to learn, but he just kind of gently guided me through it and um, allowed me to make some mistakes that weren't, you know, critical errors. Um, But gave me this like runny open field running, you know, just kind of set me loose. And he would take me into boardroom meetings as much as he possibly could. Mm. He would just um, 
you know, take me to these big client dinners and incredible photo shoots in downtown Chicago while, you know, with these food stylists that work on big food magazines. I mean, it was, it was, I was hoping you're going to say cows on runways, just some cow on the catwalk showing off their cows, (laughs) cow moves. But (laughs) it was like, you know, I really felt that he, um, was more of a, a, just a teacher. He, he loved to see my excitement to learn something new, to be in a new environment, because I was just like, Oh, Brad, did you see, you know, X, Y, Z. And I just think he just thought it was great. It invigorated him. And so there was this energy, um, that I think he fed off of. I think he was tired of, um, working with people who were jaded. Mm. And that is one thing that I think has marked my career is this refusal to become jaded. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so good. Cause right after we talked the other day to get ready for this, you did a, um, a post on your stories on Instagram, uh, specifically about your Etsy sales. And then right afterwards, you're like, my sales are down. And then I'm going to, I'm going to like mess up the words. So you can, you, you can, uh, you know, fix what I'm about to say, but you said, um, um, I am not stuck to, I'm not a slave to this platform. Uh, I can figure this out. Like this is a doable, uh, problem. And if you're going through something similar, like you don't have to feel like this is the end of the world. I'm paraphrasing probably very poorly, but I, I watched that. (laughs) I watched that and I was like, man, you're a leader among people who are leaderless. Like when we, when people who get onto Etsy, like they don't have leaders, they are the leader and they're, and they're trying to figure it out. And they're like every single day, like, how do I do my taxes? Do I need an LLC? Like, how do I advertise on there? These are questions that for most people will completely freeze them. And so to have even one little voice out there, and you're not a little voice, you're a powerful voice, to have one voice out there who has authority in something they really need help with. So good. I shared with my wife that day. I was like, look at this person doing what she's doing out there. Like that, that well, is, so what I love you, that. I, I, that's a major value of mine, the resentment statement. Or, sorry, I, I often say resentment, but you said, uh, not cynical. What, to what not was, to be jaded. Not to be jaded. Um, you know, that, that being a choice that you're making consciously. And I think that one of the most important things that I've done personally is to make a very similar choice. Um, and it's like kind of, it can kind of be a a process I've noticed for myself. Maybe I'm a little earlier in the process than, than you are. You sound like you, you made this choice a while ago, but I would love to hear more about that. And then also about, maybe how that can be challenging to you to stick to that. Um, if it is, um, and, or, or what the successes look like, like, please. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's funny because that, that determination came early on in my career. It was at that job, uh, the investment firm. I was, it was in that two week stint as the really? receptionist. Yeah. <laughs> so much. That's happened. so early to be making I, such mature decisions about life. Well, it was, it was funny because I'm like putting mail in different mail slots and I'm doing something that's just mundane. Yeah. And this older um, administrative assistant type lady comes up to me and she's like, that's not your job. And I said, oh, I don't mind. 
you know, you know, I'm just doing something because it needs done. Yeah. And she said, oh, I can see you're, you're still young. You're not jaded yet. Ooh. And then oh, man. that marked me that like steered my soul. I was like, I will not be like that. I will mm, not be yeah. 60 years old, stuck in a support role and bitter and angry at some young, talented person who just wants to help out. Mm. And um, I just really determined in myself, if I can be excited about my job, be curious about what I'm doing, come in with a great attitude, you know, these were like really simple things that I think my parents helped instill in us. And um, at that moment, it was like a flip switched in my mind of, I know what kind of person I'm going to be. And I've really tried to stay true to that. But to your point, there have been many times that um, I have pulled away from that value or kind of slipped in that resolve because of difficult, you know, business situations or, you know, it does get messy when you're trying to climb to the top. You tend to... um, sometimes lose sight of who you're supposed to be. Um, So uh, it's not without many missteps, but I think that has overall been an overlay of my career. One of the things that I find um, challenging about that is like an entire, it's like a attachment. I was going to say entitlement, but there's, that's such a, has so many more meanings these days. Um, but like this attachment and, and ownership to, uh, to my own wounds and things that have gone wrong in my life. And, and uh, I changed my language a few years ago around it. And it was one of the most powerful <clears throat> uh, tools to be able to let go of resentment, um, bitterness, uh, and pain, which is instead of like saying, I have this, you know, I have this disease or my depression or my anxiety or my this or my that, you know, I just say something that I'm experiencing. And, um, so like my experience of, um, like I, I had experienced anxiety. See, it just came out right there. Um, uh, a couple of times in my life that was pretty like soul shattering, <laughs> you know, it was really intense and it kind of took me out by surprise. Um, and, and also physical injuries. Like I've lived a pretty athletic life and just saying like, yeah, this like knee, this knee issue that I was experiencing or that, you know, I experienced this uh, meniscus uh, uh, surgery, you know, instead of like, even I had the surgery. So I know this is a little off, off subject a little bit, but or deep diving on something you said. I really think that's one of the most important things that people can do is to make a decision to not be uh, a certain way and I think Ron would use the word, it sounded like you were convicted that day, which is something I've been hearing more, just talking more to Ronald. And uh, that would be sign that in the context of this podcast, like that's a very clear like plot point almost in your life. But sometimes we have to create our own plot points, you know, and a voice inside that we hear for long enough and we know it's time. And, and one of the biggest and most life improving well-being bringing decisions I made was to do the same thing you did. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible what that does to free you up to be what you're really meant to be. Well said. And you're not sidelined by or distracted by bitterment 
bitterness or resentment or, you know, just being jaded. I mean, that really sucks the energy out of you to be able to be productive or creative or, you know, life-giving to anybody around you. So and it's seductive. Really, it's, it's seductive. Oh, that's a too. good way to describe it. That is dead on, Daniel. That's super good. Yeah. It is. It is. I don't blame anybody for being that way. It's hard. It's like being yeah. hypnotized, you know, and there's a yeah. lot of reasons to be that way. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, there are. There sure are. And um, it, later on, after I had left the beef company, um, I was traveling like five days a week every week uh, around the country to go to restaurants and supermarkets that were selling our beef. And it just became a real strain on my marriage. It was a great job. I felt like it was my dream job. And I made a conscious decision to leave, uh, which was hard, which was really hard um, because I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I went back to the temp agency and they again said, you are so not qualified for this position, but there is a, you know, Fortune 500 company in Denver that needs somebody in their marketing department. And it was an assistant role. And I felt like, ah, oh, darn it. I was a marketing manager at the smaller place. And now I'm going to have to be a, an assistant again. This is, this is a step backward. But for the sake of my marriage, I decided to go ahead and take that position and it was temporary. Like I had to prove myself again. I had to come in and do it all over again. Um, little did I know that was going to be one of the most incredible times in my corporate career. Um, because again, I had an incredible mentor um, who kind of led me through all sorts of new experiences in working in a an international company that I would have never had otherwise. But I met a man, his name was Walt Rakowicz. He was our chief operating officer at the time. And Walt was the image and picture of, he embodied everything I wanted to aspire to be. And I didn't know it at the time. Yeah, he, there was something different about him. I just knew there was something different about him. And um, all of the employees spoke well of him and really admired him. And so I thought, who is this guy? And it was kind of hard to even get to know the executives, but I was in a unique situation where I had to interact with our executives quite a bit. And one day, this guy, Walt, the chief operating officer of this enormous company, calls my desk and he says, uh, can you meet me in the mailroom? I'm, I'm sure, uh, sure, Walt. So I go down to the mailroom and on the, in the mailroom, there was this huge table and it's loaded, piled high with gifts that look like for a teenager, you know, like blankets and pillows and books and, you know, an, I, uh, an iPod at the time. It was when the iPods just came out. I mean, overloaded. And I had no idea what was happening. Like, what, what are, what is the setting? And he, that morning he had found out that one of the women who worked in the accounting department had a daughter who was that day diagnosed with cancer. And he went out, he left work. He went out himself. He didn't have his assistant go out. 
he went out himself and bought all this stuff for her knowing she was going to have to go through chemo and this was going to be a hard day. And this woman was a single mother and he just deeply cared about his employees and people. And uh, he's looking at me and I barely know him at the time. And he said, will you help me wrap all this up so that I can um, give it to this woman for her daughter? And uh, again, that was a moment, a defining moment for me where I thought that's, the kind of leader I want to be. That's wow. um, somebody who has a true compassion, who cares about the people they're working with, um, that takes a real interest in other people. So I knew it was possible in the corporate world. Uh, to that point, Judy, I really never seen that. Quick question. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times that you knew in a moment and you were able to make a decision about how you, you, you are are going to be or becoming. And I think one of the parts of this show that we're interested, uh, or that has one of the things we're interested in is not only is being able to recognize those moments and then make decisions that are lasting. Um, and I'm just curious, what did it, what do you think it is about you? If you could tease that out a little bit that is able to do that and, and why? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I, I, th- I think there is some mystery around it. But if there are some physical attributes, it's just, I couldn't stop talking about it. I couldn't stop telling people about what happened. (laughs) Everybody I saw that week heard that story. I'm like, you won't believe what happened. I was just so, and then I would think about it and think about it. And Mm. man, what if I was in that position or, you know, what, what would I have done? And, and, and Mm. so just, I think reflecting and challenging yourself to ask those questions. I think a lot of people see things and go, that was nice and move on. And yeah, um, I see the same of, thing sometimes. And and then I'll, sometimes yeah. I'll watch it happen. I'm like that, that could be meaningful to you. You know what I mean? If I was in your shoes, that would be something that I would act on or change in action. It would, it would, something would stick there. Yes. You know, there's a book uh, called big magic and I've told yeah, you to read book. this, Ron. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll read it. It's I'll a good read. book. Yeah. But she describes inspiration in a way of like a, a, a somebody walking in a field and they can kind of feel inspiration coming in the wind over the hills. Um, and it's like, awesome. you have the opportunity to grasp it and do something in the moment or let it pass by you. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's what happens is, are you going to be a person that will kind of, grab the tail of the kite and kind of pull it in and go, no, this is for me. Or you just kind of allowing these Mm. inspiring moments to pass by you. Mm. But I think everybody does feel them. It's impossible not to, I mean, we're human. We have souls and. I agree. I I think they do too. There's something maybe about, and I don't know if this is true. I'm, I'm hashing this out as we talk about it, but like almost like when people watch, They'll, maybe we observe our lives more like we're watching a movie or a show, you know, and be, and we do spend a lot of times watching screens, you know, and a lot of content and, and it just kind of comes and goes and, you know, but if, but your life is not like a movie or a TV show, it's your life. And, and, uh, and I think that uh, stopping and grasping on and allowing something to mean something mm-hmm. might feel a little bit just, it would be jarring from that type from that mentality or that experience of just watching, you know, your day go by. And so kind of like 
putting the brakes on, like you say, grabbing onto this thing and, and being like, I, this is going to mean something. I think that that would be an important skill to develop if a person has is looking for some type of meaning. I, I've found that to be an incredibly valuable tool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, this thing could pass a person walking on the street. Something says, someone says something, you know, we do it in this podcast all the time. Well, can we put the brakes on there? Can you say that again? That's us doing that like that. Let's go deeper there. It's that, that like, no, I want more of this. Let's stop. It's, it's important. Yeah. And it can be something truly as simple as jotting it down in a journal. Like, awesome. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it really can be. I think at that time I was blogging. And so I, I did stop and reflect and um, write a lot huh. of these stories down as they were happening. And that just that simple act and exercise and of sitting and writing it down. I, I do think it cemented something for me. Um, you know, it maybe those things wouldn't have been as um, impactful had I just experienced it and moved on but I did yeah. sit and write about it at some point. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, I think that's helpful. That, I think it's super helpful. There's an episode of a podcast called hidden brain, which is produced by NPR. I love um, hidden brain. Do you, okay, have you, did yeah. you remember the episodes a year old? I just looked at it called a secret friends, which Mm-mm. is about people looking for um, like signs in their life mm-hmm. to know that they're oh. on the right track. And and they talked about uh, sociologists and anthropologists and psychiatrists and psychologists like studying people who have some kind of faith journey. And it doesn't matter where, it, like, where on the spectrum of faith it is. And they found that people who expect to see signs see more of them. And it's an exercise that can be that it's like a muscle you can like create like you can yeah. see it better it is absolutely and it's always helpful no matter what faith background it is like it actually helps your life go forward i for i completely forgot about that episode too you just started talking about this and like fostering like this is going to mean something to me and well, exactly uh, like ron just so, yeah. not to cut you off totally but just to add to that it, if people say like I don't, I think, I think things happen for a reason. Other people always say, I think, I think these don't happen for a reason. And it's just, I find that to be a really funny statement. It's like, it's up to yeah. you, you know, yeah. like yeah. You, you decide whether or not something means or, or doesn't mean something. And it's exactly what our brain does anyway. It's like we, most of the information our brain takes in does not mean anything. So mm-hmm. I think it's totally fair for in a person's day, navigating their life for most things not to mean something, mm-hmm. but it is a decision that one can make to make something mean something. And then what does that mean? Well, it means taking action. It means connecting your life to that thing and changing it. It means seeing uh, how it's connected maybe to the past. So anyways, I don't want to cut you off yeah. too much, but just that's yeah. huge. Did you do that as a kid when you were young? Did you, did you look for like clues and signals and signs that you were on the right path? Man, like I said, I don't think back much. I don't yeah. remember a lot of my childhood, which is do you really wow. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, we grew up really poor, um, yeah. six people in a two bedroom apartment and, um, so I think I just wanted to get past that as quickly as possible. There is one moment, um, that I I'll never forget. Um, which was, I, my mom was a school teacher. We're in some gymnasium for summer school or something. And she's teaching. And so I'm just along 
and some some kids I was playing with some kids and some kid told me you know get down on your knees and beg like a dog you know we were playing some game and and I I said I never get off my knees and beg I'm not a dog and I did not realize my mom had overheard me say that and um I remember getting home and she was like the most proud of me she had Whoa. ever been. That's so cool. <laughs> and she just told everybody that story. You won't believe what Judy said. Uh, I'm so proud of her. And so, um, you know, just little things like that. I think there are moments we all remember, but I don't remember as a kid looking specifically for um, moments. Uh, but my mom did have us write journals and write goals all the time. Really? She was a teacher. So yeah. it was a an early... Uh, exercise that we yeah. had in our house was yeah. journaling and um goals that's really that's so. that's telling i think i mean mm-hmm. i mean it, i'm yeah. bringing it back to the moment with the the boss who bought all the stuff for um his co-worker or his employee's daughter and it's like you said something before that story which was i want to be a successful person who looks like this. Like I want to be a successful person who has a heart, who has morals, who is ethical, who treats people well, who is interested in people. And then, and then the universe and God's like, okay, here you go. Like, here's, here's an example of how this works. Are you willing to do this? And it's obviously made an impact. And I think that's what was coming across. Like even in your live thing the other day, like you were your heart for encouragement in a place that doesn't often feel like a place that can have encouragement, which is our, our businesses are, 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 are like real nuts and bolts. I put an input in this part of the machine. I do some other things and God, I hope that that $1 I just put in there comes out as $2, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and we forget that we're emotional beings and that we have emotions around that. And we have feelings of highs and lows around it. And it's so good to have someone, speaking around all that for you so after that like what so you went into marketing you went on the corporate side of marketing and and then why why the etsy shop what what part of you needed to get scratched on that it that that said too (laughs) like if you were happy a happy marketer what were you like you know what i'm i also feel like i need to get crafty oh man so i want to tell you one more story about walt and faith before we move on and then i'm going to tell you how I made that switch and why, but, um, I was working at that, uh, it was called Prologis. It's an industrial real estate, uh, company, largest land, private landowner in the world. Um, and I worked there during the market crash of 07 and all real estate sectors were heavily impacted by that not just um, consumer real estate, commercial and industrial. And so I was in the industrial sector and we had massive layoffs. Oh, wow. Our stock went in one day from $70 to $2. Oh, gosh. People lost everything. That's like jumping out the window, you know. Yeah. That's scary. Wow. It was rough. And we... As a company, we were over leveraged. We, we were in a bad position and our CEO was ousted. He was actually one of the mm. kind of people I got to encounter that I did not want to be like. He, yeah, sure. Egomaniac, you know, just, uh, was, 
And Walt was promoted to the CEO. Mm. And I remember when he was, it, it was announced and people had, we had, you know, a standing ovation for him and employees were crying mm. because wow. it meant that much to them. And you just knew every single one of these people had a personal story about mm. why Walt was important to them. And so anyway, months, maybe a year later, as things are recovering and we're getting through this and Walt navigated the company with just incredible leadership and grace, rounds of layoffs, but took care of every single person with like incredible benefits packages. And he was asked to speak to a room of 100 CEOs across Denver and they came to our office. So I was in charge of putting his presentation together, working with him, putting his presentation together, and then sitting in the room to navigate the presentation for him, which was such an incredible opportunity for me. Here I am, some girl, again, I think I'm only like 21 or 22 at the time. And I'm like, you know, in this room of very prestigious people coming to listen to Walt and what he has to say to them. And he gives just an incredible speech about navigating change and being resilient and um, all of that. But at the end, somebody asked him a question and said, how did you do it? How did you take this company from a record low, rounds of layoffs, like how did you not jump off a building? And he thought about it for a minute and then he said, there is truly only one thing that sustained me and it was my faith. And he said, every morning when I drove to work, I would pray for these people. They were real people. I care about them. It weighed heavily on me that they have families that they're providing for. And the only thing that got me through is my faith. I truly believe I could have been the one jumping off the building. You know, I could have been in that situation. There's, there's nothing that makes me special. Um, But what I took away from that was here's a guy who's in this very intimidating room of other successful people. And he was willing to say something about his faith and spirituality. I felt that was the bravest thing I had ever seen in my life. Like it was just taboo to talk about faith in a corporate setting. It still is. I mean, you just, we didn't even have Christmas trees in the lobby because you just don't want to offend anybody ever. I mean, it was just so politically correct. So PC Uh, in those larger companies, you have to do things that way. And so for him to really let his guard down and say something just so personal, I, again, I just thought I never want to hide that part of my being because I do believe that is also what fuels me is my faith that gets me through so much and empowers me to have uh, a good attitude or be resilient or pick myself up after failure, which I've had plenty. <laughs> and by faith, do you mean trust? I mean, is it, is it essentially a sense of trust? It, it's specifically for me, my faith in Christ, my, my Christianity faith of, mm. um, I have this pillar of faith that I can, um, hold on to and lean on and, um, draw strength from, um, and I have a, a source of joy that 
doesn't come from money or mm. success. You know, it's, it's, it's outside mm. of that. And so mm. it does create this like strong foundation. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Something I've kind of, I've been experiencing l- lately is I'll, I'll be, I have so much to be grateful for. It's stupid. Like I, I don't, it's like a dream life some, sometimes. And, and yet I'll still get wound up about something in the moment. You know, it happens all the time. Like it happens, yeah. it's happened in this conversation, you know, just emotional, emotionally, I just maybe get attached to an idea or, or something that I want or something I think should be happening, blah, blah, blah. And and I lose contact with us with I've noticed with a source of joy within myself. I just mm. temporarily lost contact with it, and now I'm in some like minor crisis. You know, it's like, it doesn't make yeah. any. Yeah. It, it is kind of like it doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, mm. it's just it yeah. just and and it's so nice to become aware of that. But when you say you have something that this constant source, you know, at all times, that that is something that I think is one of the most important things that people can do that a person can do is, and then figure, not figuring out, but creating a mind that doesn't lose contact with that, you know, very easily. Yeah. Yeah. So true. But, um, after I had worked there, I had picked up new skills to get through the rounds of layoffs. I made it through all the layoffs and, um, my boss had, I think he had been laid off or he had gone to work. He had been laid off. Um, my boss had been laid off and he went to work for a different company and he recruited me to come work for him again. And I had such a good experience with him. Uh, and he was offering me a creative position. And I mean, just things that I really wanted, um, in a smaller financial company, but I, I really wanted to do it. And so I followed him there. Um, and there is where I had a, an enormous, um, failing, just, just an enormous failing. I totally lost sight of everything I wanted to be, everything I, who I, I felt like I was called to be. Uh, I just got on the rat race. I wanted to climb the ladder. I wanted money. I wanted success. And I chased it so hard. It almost broke my whole life. I mean, how I compromised what, what did that look my like? morals. Um, oh, it wow. looked like, you know, failing at something, but then lying and covering it up and hiding so I could continue to get to the next level and pushing my coworkers down so that I could rise up. Uh, things that I... I had made that conscious decision. I did not want to be like that, but I became so self-interested and really wrapped around the wheel. I mean, I was in this leadership program. I was presenting at board meetings. I, I really thought I was something special. Meanwhile, my whole life was just corroding underneath me. Um, What, what, what do you think the door was that cracked for that? Like what happened where, you know, like suddenly you're like, there's the the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and one and they're and they're giving you each the argument of why you should take this next decision. Like, why were you like, okay, today, and you like rubbed your fingers together? I'm gonna be a little bit evil. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it is seductive. All of yeah. these things are seductive, 
and it's not one thing. It's a million little steps yeah, towards totally. something. And yeah. it's being pressured into something one day and then it, it doesn't feel right, but you, you do it. And then you do it again and again yeah. and again until yeah. you're so far away from who you really want to be. And um, I was launching a major project with this company and I got pregnant. Actually, before that, we had, we had just lost my little baby nephew. He was coming up on his one-year birthday. And so that was like a real crisis for our family. I mean, it was probably one of the most crushing things that we've ever been through. And it was a freak accident, you know, it really brought me to my knees, questioning my faith, questioning everything, you know, and things like that bring life into perspective really quickly. Like money and success just means nothing at that point yeah. when you have a very unexpected death of a child um, in your family. And so um, at that moment, we had one daughter, but uh, my husband and I were like, man, children are a gift. We should have another child. You know, in this, in the midst of this grief, we're, we're thinking that that would be a good idea. Well, I go back to work and I kind of just get back into the grind of work, but I, I, I did end up pregnant. And so the whole pregnancy, I was awful. <laughs> I was awful. I resented it. I was like, I've got this big project. I don't want to be sidelined. I don't want someone else to take my project to the finish line. I mean, again, I was just so in a toxic place. I was just, the environment was toxic. I was really affected by it. I would leave the house at, you know, 5.30 in the morning to be the first one in. And I would come home at eight o'clock at night to be the last one out and barely kiss my daughter goodnight. Like I didn't see her. I, I really didn't experience my first daughter's like first four years of growing up because I was just in this mode of workaholic. Mm -hmm. And um, I went on maternity leave and it was like, I was gobsmacked. Like all of a sudden I could see what I was missing out on. I could just feel it and experience it and go, oh my gosh, my family is so precious. Like, where have I been? My daughter, I didn't even know her and I'm getting to know her. And it was incredible. And this time with my family. And then my office started calling me on maternity leave, like three or four weeks in. And I could feel that kind of drawback to this company. And I quit my job on maternity leave. <laughs> um, because I knew if I went back, I would just yeah. fall into it. I, I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had the power to resist the seduction. Um, and so without a job, without, I was the sole provider. My husband was a stay-at-home dad at that point. Mm. Um, and it was a bold move. Like, it was really a step of faith. Like, I've got to rip off this Band-Aid right now, or I'm just going to, this will be my life, is this corporate ladder and I'm going to be somebody I don't want to be. And I don't think I can pull myself out. It felt really desperate, but, um, so we did that and I just kind of worked some job that I didn't really love. And it felt like a step back, but I really had a goal of getting out of the corporate world. I wanted to be there for my kids. I wanted a different life. 
And then I listened to Big Magic. I read Big Magic, which was all about pursuing your original passions. And for me, that was always creating and being in art and these other skills that I had. And now I had all this marketing capability and pairing that with like my childhood love of, you know, creating and making things. Um, And we were under a crushing amount of debt because I had quit my job. I went a couple months without a job. So um, it was really just out of a place of desperation and being inspired by this book that I went, Let's just put something out there. Let's just put something into the world and see if it'll sell. What was your first and, Etsy product? Um, my first Etsy product was a sign, like a, a sign that you would put in your house. And I sketched it in church. And uh, there's this kind of big song that was popular at the time. And uh, the song lyrics were, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And my husband had just sang that that morning at our church and I sketched this little house and I put those words in there kind of (laughs) cute and I kind of drew a little box around it and I thought oh that would be a cute sign meanwhile we're under crushing amounts of debt (laughs) um and we're just kind of getting by and I thought I bet I could sell a sign like that and I went home and I mocked it up on my computer I like did a little sketch of it on my computer and put it on Facebook and I said would anybody want this and I had 20 people immediately go, oh, I would love something like that. Can you make it for me? And I said, yeah, I had never worked with a power tool. I did not know how I was going to make this thing, (laughs) but I figured it out. And um, we went from there. Wait, what did that sign say again? Do you remember? Did you? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, which which is just an invitation um, to allow God to be in your life. It's kind of an um, invitation kind of, to the big magic. Yeah, I was going to say it, it, it. The thing that I remember about big magic was this little uh, story she told about a poem coming to her. And it might even have been that same section. Do you remember that? Oh, obviously. I mean, that was the moment for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked that uh, she had this visual where the poem was like coming into her, but she wasn't getting it down and then it was leaving. And she's like kind of trying to hold on to it, but it's oh, gone. Yeah. She yeah. talks, uh, Ron, she talks about uh, ideas coming into people and, and the idea for that, for that book or that project is in you. And, but if you don't recognize it, she says at some point in time, it can leave and move on to another person. She talks uh, about it like that. You don't honor that. Yeah. That inspiration. I think most of my new products and things have come from a moment of inspiration. Of you just mm-hmm. go, I know yeah. that thing. I know and then you is. take action, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the thing. It yeah. will leave you. Yeah. <laughs> or some competitor got to it first. I mean, these yeah. ideas are out there. And yeah. So, yeah. That's fascinating. I think we could probably talk another hour about those kinds of moments, like those inspirational moments where you're like, I got to do this. It's got to get down on paper somehow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, how have we been talking? Has this already been an hour and a half? Have we just done that? It's Did been it- an hour. It's been an hour. Oh, good. 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 Oh, we're, we're good. Great. 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 Um, uh, so then you're, you started this Etsy shop after this one Facebook post 
And, uh, and then you're like, I got to learn how to use power tools. And now you've got uh, a, a factory in your, Oh, here's a, I was also going to pick on you about this. Your, uh, the name of your company, black butterfly. Uh, I mean, that seems like very kind of magical, like it this is. thing moving around and, and it's like, it, it's a meaningful moment. Lots of folks find a lot of meaning in butterflies. Why that, why black, why butterfly? What's that significant yeah. to you? Well, um, the summer that, uh, or that the, when I had my daughter and had that big uh, revelation about this company and my trajectory and who I'd really become, um, it was a dark time for me. I felt really depressed. I felt like I was walking away from something I had built for 15 years. And mm. um, I was really questioning this transformation. Um, and so it, was, it felt like a, even though I knew it was the right step, it felt very dark time in my life. And, um, and in our family, I think my family felt my depression and um, just my longing and, and desire to, to go back to work. And um, we saw a literal black butterfly on a bush outside of our house that summer. and. It felt important. It felt special. I had never seen a pure black butterfly in my life. I didn't even know they existed. And um, so that moment kind of came and went. And my husband is very much into imagery and looking into the meaning of things. And so he looked up what the meaning of a black butterfly. And it can mean death, but it can also mean renewal after a dark period. And he came in, he just, I, had, I was already making some signs and kind of selling them locally. And he bursted in the front door and he goes, I know the name for your company. I said, what? And he goes, Black <laughs> and I was like, really? Okay. Okay. And he tells me what it means. And I was just like, man, that is exactly how I feel right now. I feel like I've been through this dark time and I am transforming into a new creation. And um, our friends, our very best friends, had were leaving to go to England to live there, and uh, which was also sad. But he is an artist, like a true fine artist. And he had these massive canvases uh, that he had done. I had never seen them. I don't know how I never had seen them. I maybe they were in storage, but. He said, well, do you want these? He didn't know the story. He didn't know we had decided on Black Butterfly or anything. And we go to pick up these enormous canvases, which are in my front room now. And they are murals of Black Butterflies. And every different species of butterfly, it's just mm. Black Butterflies up and down these canvases. So we really felt like, man, this is it. Like, if there are signs in life, these are yeah. literal signs that um, we're on the right track. We're doing the right thing. What year did it's you not, start? Was what year did you start that business? Two thousand and sixteen. So since then, I just got on your uh, Etsy page. Since then, you have sold nearly fifty thousand products online yeah. Yeah. to Etsy, and that is it. That's a healthy Etsy store. It is. And, we had and, our first million dollar year last year, yeah. which was mind blowing. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, every time I see a number like that, Judy, I think like that's a city that you impacted. Like that's the size of our town. We came from that's, that's Roswell, New Mexico. And that's like every home in New Mexico has, or, you know, Roswell has a black butterfly sign in it. I mean, that's the way I kind of like think of these things. And, and uh, that's the impact that you've had out there and your husband too with uh, this and creating the joy. Yeah. I was going to say too, uh, when you mentioned your, your husband being someone who is interested in the meaning of things, you know, that must be so great to have uh, support. And I imagine he does it a little, in a, at least a slightly different, if not a very different way than you do. And um, I just, uh, that must be great. I'd be curious to hear more about that too. Yeah, he's, he's a force all on his own. He is an incredible creative mind. He's a musician, obviously. Yeah, um, I love the sign he, behind you that says, give a damn. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> cool. that is so him. He um, he brings out the best in me and challenges me to really think creatively and push myself beyond what I think is uh, capable. But he also uh, really cares about quality. And um, I think I'm a little bit more shoot from the hip, like just throw it out there and see if it sticks. And mm-hmm. um, so he's really helped us build something that's sustainable. Um, and we're not just slinging junk. Um, you know what I mean? Cause I think I could probably fall into that just to make a buck or something, but he really keeps wow. me grounded in, um, great compliment. Like, yeah. Yeah. Staying focused on like quality stuff that, uh, we, we care about. Um, and so it, uh, it truly, I, I think my biggest, uh, gifting in life is being an, an encourager. And so transitioning mm-hmm. to help other Etsy shops has mm. been uh, even more fulfilling than the business itself, to be honest. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I, I think right now, you know, there's a, we're a year into the pandemic, right? Roughly. And when this started, we, the kids and I and my wife were joking about it. Um, like it just, we couldn't have imagined it like how it's turned out so far. And we live in downtown Portland. So it's also had its own story of, of death and renewal and all those things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the beginning, I said to her, I said to her and to my kids, look, we don't know how this is going to happen. We don't know what's going to go on. We don't know this is going to be short or long, but we can decide right now that we're going to come out of it better. And we could decide that it's kind of like being on a spaceship going to Mars. It's some long distance in the future. The world will definitely look different when we get there. So let's decide to make the best of it at this moment. And, I love that. and our business had the best year it had ever had. Like our marriage had, was the best year it ever was. Like our kids really excelled in a lot of ways that we could, didn't even, couldn't have anticipated. And I think it's, it, you know, like you, you're like, I see the trouble coming. I see what could happen. You know, I, I see like where this could go wrong when you were young in your, in your career, or I could decide, I don't want to do that. And I, and I can decide, like, I want to give a damn. I want this to be as the best possible way it could be. And that's only served my family. It's obviously served you guys and many, 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 many people because of that. And I think it just kind of 
begets more goodness out in the world when you encourage and when you sh- when you live it yourself. That's beautiful. That's very very cool. Uh, where can people find you? How can they find you? They can find me um, on my website for coaching. And um, if, if you're interested in building an Etsy business, um, you can find me at blackbutterfly.shop. Um, or you can find my Etsy shop on Etsy by searching Black Butterfly Signs. And um, on Instagram, shop underscore Black Butterfly. I love connecting with people, uh, especially people who have some inkling to, to make something and get it out in the world. Um, it can be a paralyzing thing to even just get it started. And so, um, yeah, hit me up. I definitely, you know, want to encourage you and, um, just be a part of your journey. Yeah. That's cool. Before we leave you, Judy, I want to say, uh, just really thank you for coming on here with us. You, you've brought like your full attention and uh, you're bringing a lot, a lot of life to this hour. And that means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. I feel really honored. And um, I can't wait to, you know, <laughs> hear, hear this out there and, and share it with <laughs> Well, I know, I know, like, Judy, the thing that I'm, like, really floating away with right now is this decision to not. I already, I like Daniel before, like I, I already feel like the world could be solved if we decided resentment and entitlement didn't belong in our lives. And, and every time I'm reminded of that, I'm like, yes, this is the right path. Like this is the way to actually do it. So that mm-hmm. is what you've just added to it is like the confirmation of those two things, plus the magical ex- expectation of the inspiration coming to you. And now it's your decision to grab it and hold on to it and get after yes. it. Yes, totally. Thank you, yes, friend. Get out there, people. Really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Okay, You're we'll welcome. let you Thanks, know when this comes out. All right, take care. Bye. Awesome. Bye, guys. Welcome to the field dressing. Today, we talked to Judy Tom- uh, Thomas uh, in her shop, Black Butterfly Shop, uh, which you can find on Etsy. Which is an incredible story. I used to have a shop on Etsy. Oh, back in the day, we thought we were doing pretty damn good. And like this, she's a whale of a shop. Like, like it's a really cool thing to see. And the cooler thing though is that I've watched her because I've been friends with her online this whole time. I've watched her go from like corporate mom to slowly growing her business over the years to become a, like an actual business leader in this world. And also creating like actually rad products along the way. And she's not gone. She's not done this unnoticed. I mean, she's been in BuzzFeed, US Weekly, HGTV, Women's Day. Like, like she's getting attention. She deserves all the attention and her and her husband both for all the success. And it's rad for me personally to see someone from my little shitty hometown, Roswell, (laughs) like make it and soar. And I don't want to pick on my town too much, but... uh, you know, it's hard to have big expectations when you come from a small town, I think. And yeah, something that she said the first time we talked to her when we weren't recording, um, she said that her ideas about her hometown had changed. And yeah. I, I meant to ask her about it here, here's if she'd bring it up, you know, cause it sounds like, you know, some, something maybe similar that as you've, despite you jokingly calling it shitty, like yeah. I'm sure that you've, an appreciation i mean come on like any place you can you can have practically any experience any 
there's so many different experiences and different lives that can be lived in, in, totally. a, in a town or a city. Yeah. It's like when people talk about a city they don't like, I'm just like, you don't like your experience there, but like yeah. it's got very little to do with the city in my opinion, usually. Yeah. Yeah. But what I liked about her so much uh, and appreciated about her is that she just knows her values and she sticks to them. And, and when she fought, when something happens in her life, that uh, touches on a value, maybe one that uh, she's discovering, maybe one that she isn't living by. Um, she she just acts on it and she she locks it down. She burns it in and she moves on with that. And then sure, she's human. She'll she said that she went away from many of her morals, and uh, uh, you know for a long time, yeah. but she found her way back. And, and then she put the two parts of her life that she had developed um, together and is thriving. It's great. I loved also what she spoke about her husband uh, holding her to a higher level of quality and, and yeah, excellence. Me too. I think we all need that person yeah. in our life, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, there's a, per, there's a kind of person that won't do something because they're, they're like waiting on perfection to somehow happen before the thing they want to do is complete. I'm kind of that person. Like I will like, I, things have to feel or used to in the past have to feel perfect for me to go forward. And um, my father-in-law and sounds like Judy are like, they're like putting action in as the idea is happening. Like the, the idea is there and they're just running with it. And, and then when you can combine the inspiration plus a real desire for excellence, it's, it ends up being really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, ma- really waiting really for things together. to be perfect, you know, uh, is going to be a good way to, you know, I've been Do nothing I, for a pretty long much, time. you know, it's, it's almost an avoidant strategy. And, yeah, um, 100%. that's not to say that it's like, cause perfect. What does that even mean? Yeah. Uh, um, but like waiting for things to align to a certain place, uh, of yeah. course that makes sense. But d- having the convic- the conviction, having the, um, agency to be like, yeah, the rest of this thing coming together is going to happen through me taking the steps based on where it's at right now. That's, that's an attractive quality in the, in the, in people. And I think the, the nature of reality really supports that too, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really well said, man. You also nailed, um, what did you say? Oh, about, about resentment being seductive. dude. That one got you me. Experience that one that? Stopped. That, well, that I, I I think we all I, well, you know this is an audio program, but I can see you guys speaking, and I can see you, and I can see her, and I can see me in the camera, and I just see all of our eyes get really big when you use that word, mm. because my guess is because we we know that just like any kind of seduction, it's attractive and it feels good. Like we feel this like desire to do it. Does and does in it and there's also a physical feeling involved with it and resentment or um, bitterness, like there's a physical sensation we we experience when we want to participate with those emotions, and it is seductive. It does release you know release chemicals in our brains and our bodies that like feels like it's a bit of a relief for the pressure we're we're feeling. And, and, uh, the decision to move against, it's very difficult. I remember, um, Morgan and I teaching our first course together, uh, a bunch of years ago, 
that we, we were pulling from parts in different places. And one of the very first principles that we taught was like, you have to, if you want to be in a relationship, you have to learn how to forgive one another. And seems like a simple concept, right? And we had somebody right, right back to us and they're like, I don't want to, I do not want to forgive my partner. I don't feel like it's necessary to forgive my partner. And, and I was like, wonder what their partner has to say about that. <laughs> right. I was like, maybe. damn, like, I wonder. Maybe like, they'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's, that could be, I could see that. I mean, I guess you have to ask, you have to ask yourself, like, what, what is so important about caring around the unforgiveness of something? And I don't want to pick well, on you, this person in particular. Right. But like, um, well, they might be just being honest too, you know? It's like, yeah. they might say, I don't want to forgive their, my, my partner, but the reason they don't want to is because whatever has happened has not been accounted for. It hasn't been, there's no, mm-hmm. there hasn't been accountability. So I don't yeah, blame I a person. You can't just be like, I want to forgive some someone and no, then it's can't. done. Yeah, You know, there it's attached to a feeling. It's attached to a belief. It's attached to something inside, right? Mm-hmm. And until that mm-hmm. thing has been recognized, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to be resentful or be yeah. not forgiven like fair enough yeah. you know yeah 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 well said again super well said daniel that's why you're here well i'm yeah. glad you real quick i'm glad you brought it back to that um ronald because i could tell you wanted to say something about that um about that resentment issue and i kind of stepped in and i was curious more about your thoughts around that and experience well i said i said it already in the show and that is um i think most of our problems in life personally and broadly like it this scales right? This scales it like, like in my, in myself, in my family, in whatever community I am. And that is the, the desire, the addiction, the, the, um, the desire to feel and be swamped by resentment and entitlement, um, are, are intoxicating and poisonous. And like, they're like the La Brea tar pits, like you get in them, you know, the reason there's so many animals there is because there's water and so it's like, hmm, this interesting water. I'm glad I get in and they get in and then they get sucked to the bottom and die forever, right? Like, and that I think is entitlement resentment in a lot of ways. I mean, but to your point, there are things in our life when we are the, we are the actual victims of things and we need some kind of feeling of restitution and, and acknowledgement. Like those need to be worked through. And so I say that not with a sense that you just decide not to be resentful or yeah. entitled anymore. Yeah. Like that's not what I mean at all you have to wrestle with this stuff and you have to tell your story and you have to own your part of it. And also recognize that if you are the victim, that it's not your fault. Um, or if you are a victimizer that you have to take responsibility for those things. Um, and the entitlement part I think is, is really difficult as our world progresses into like the, consumption of more things and the consumption of of aesthetics and the consumption of whatever the digital world is telling us we need like that entitlement like just sits on us and its voice gets louder and louder i mean you bucked against us a long time ago and you're like i'm gonna be a minimalist and i'm done and um, uh Well, I think the entitlement thing can be confusing too, because we have a lot in a lot of like spiritual tech, not spiritual texts, but a lot of the kind of popular, you know, Western 
um, verbiage that's going around is you deserve to be happy. You know, you deserve right. this, you deserve everything. You deserve everything. Yeah. Don't be entitled. You know, you're entitled. Yeah. Don't be entitled. Those things are antithetical in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So what's the nuance there? How do you re- recognize those? And the way that I think I see it, and I'm working this out too, Ron, or I'm working this out, which, which is maybe you don't deserve everything, but you certainly have an ability to create what you want mm-hmm. to create. Like mm-hmm. the, the ball is in your proverbial court on what you want to, how you want to um, metabolize and alchemize the things that come into your life, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you want to do that um, through a experience of resentment and that, because that's very, and I think this is a seductive part. That's, mm-hmm. you, there's a lot of power there. You feel like powerful, right. Right. even if you don't think you do, it's a fucking powerful feeling, you know, yeah. to just be like, yeah. Oh, you know, I feel yeah. this way, but you, it is kind of up to you also. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. There, there is, I mean, that was one part. Of, there was a part about Judy's story that I thought was there was a kind of competition that existed in herself, like like with the woman who said, um, "You know, oh, you're too young, and oh, soon yeah. you'll be jaded, right?" And there was yeah. this like immediate <laughs> kind of action, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of action on Judy's part to be like, "Hell no, I'm not going to be this." Yeah, and, that was dope. Yeah, super dope. And and so in a way, like was it resentment towards that lady that she's like, I'm not going to do this or, or at yeah. least like, I don't, I wouldn't call it that either, but there, but there is this feeling of like that burns that hurts yeah. and I'm getting out of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. She did that a bunch. I so appreciate yeah. that, man. Yeah. Me too. And yeah. Me too. She's, she's, she's an interesting, so I'm glad she's out there. That's gorgeous. Dude, uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, always a beautiful pleasure. And pleasure, um, can't wait to the next one. All right. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.